So a couple of things that uh, y'all know, in uh, case you haven't noticed, I will alert you to the fact that there's COVID. If you haven't heard of it, it's a thing. And uh, there's been a, uh, there's a lot of COVID activity out there right now. And, and I think if you remember, we were told back in the spring that when winter came, there would be a, another upsurge. And that certainly seems to be uh, the case. And so we're, we're doing some things. We're trying to take some precautions just to make you safer. One of those things is uh, to add another morning service, which hopefully we'll have ready uh, by the first Sunday of February. We still have some things to kinks to work out to get that to, to happen, but we're working on it. Also, we're, we're moving some, some of the things, some activities that we have. We're changing some of them, moving some of them back a little bit to give us more time uh, to prepare. One thing that uh, the uh, women's Bible study is supposed to start on Tuesday, and it's been moved back at least a week. We'll, we'll see what happens on that. Uh, you can watch our, watch our social media. Uh, if you don't already follow us on social media, this will be a great time. Uh, for you to start doing that. Uh, and you can see on social media what's happening, what's not happening, uh, what's being postponed, what's being moved around, all sorts of things like that. Um, there is today, actually, uh, right after the service upstairs, there's a, uh, a training uh, for servers, people that want to be uh, hospitality uh, folks. And so um, if, that's, if you signed up for that, that will happen upstairs. MJ will be leading that. And uh, I want to say, and I'll tell the group this also uh, at the meeting, uh, hospitality, being a greeter, being a welcomer, being a door holder, whatever you want to call it, is the most important job in the church. You might think I'm crazy. Uh, it is. It's the most important job in the church, and this is why um, it used to be that people decided um, on a church after they'd come two or three times. Uh, and now, uh, statistics and surveys and interviews show that people decide on a church in the first 10 minutes after arriving on the property, whether they're coming back or not. And it's solely based on how they're treated. And if they're made to feel welcome, chances are they'll come back. And uh, if they're not, unless they're incredibly resilient, like James, <laughs> they won't. And so, uh, that's a great, it's a very important job. So if you're looking for an important job, that's it. So come to the training and uh, MJ will teach us how to do that. Um, I, I, I love worship. One of the things I love about worship is uh, just the differences. You know, everybody's not the same. And uh, the, just the differences in, in worship and seeing different, uh, different people and the things that, that excite different people in the context of worship. Um, I'm, I'm somewhat of a contemplative person, you know, so I, I, I like more contemplative worship. But some of you just love the, you know, the upbeat, exciting things, and that, that's good too. I like that as well. But one of the things that I notice in worship is that um, every time there's a, an electric guitar that kind of, you know, gets out there, all the people who 
who were in high school and college in the 70s and 80s just go nuts. <laughs> and I don't know if it's the Holy Spirit or just memories, you know? So we'll, we'll see. But, but that, was, that was fun today. I just kind of looked around and I could see all of my uh, recovering or maybe not recovered hippies um, having, having fun. So that's good. Uh, today, we've been talking uh, about our values, and these are really pillars, the pillars of our vision. Our vision is commu- community transformation, to see our community transformed by God. And there are certain things that we believe God has called us to do and to give ourselves to uh, that really feed into that vision. We, we know that community transformation is, is something that only God can do. It's, it's too big for us. Uh, but we believe there are things that he's called us to give ourselves to uh, that facilitate that. And last week, Austin uh, talked about worship uh, because we, we know that God has called us to be a place of worship, a house of worship, a place of encounter. And, uh, and today, I'm going to talk a little bit about prayer because we know also that, that God has called us to be a house of prayer. And our desire is that prayer would be the first thing, not the last thing. We don't want to make plans and put together all these ideas and then ask God to bless what we've come up with. We, we want to rather make prayer the first thing and say, God, you tell us what you want us to do. We want to know from you. We want your plans uh, to be what's, what's leading us. So if you want to turn uh, to Luke 11, or you can just look at the screen, it will be there as well. I'm going to read a few verses. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation." Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door's already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I'll tell you, even Though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, that's not one word, audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Lord, we pray uh, today uh, that you would speak to us. Uh, We know that there are things that you want to say to us, things that we need to hear from you. And so we pray that we would have ears to hear and hearts to receive all that you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the interesting things about that uh, parable that Jesus tells about the the man who 
uh, doesn't want to get out of bed to, to help his friend out, is that, you know, he says, my children and I are all in bed. And in that culture at that particular time, that's exactly what it meant. They were all in bed together. The whole family, they would typically have maybe one bed and everyone slept together. And, and so uh, that's just progress, y'all, that, that we don't have to do that anymore. And, and if you are doing that, if you have small children uh, and, and you, you go to bed at night and they just somehow always find your room and find your bed and crawl in there with you, you're just embracing your Jewish heritage. And that's, that's okay. So we're going to talk today about the prayer life of Jesus. And the mystery of prayer is really is that uh, a child of three can pray. A child of three can pray and, and pray powerfully and pray effectively. And yet many of us who've been Christians for a long time still miss some of the depths of prayer that God has invited us to and called us to. Uh, my grandchildren and I play hide-and-seek at my house. And uh, we, we love to play hide-and-seek. And, you know, we rotate the person that is it. And the person, whoever is it, you know the drill. They have to go to the kitchen and they have to count to 20 while the rest of us hide. And um, about a week or so ago, uh, we were playing. And some of you know Samantha. She just turned four. And Samantha was it. And so she went to the kitchen to count. And we heard her. When she got to the kitchen, she closed her eyes and bowed her head because that's what you do when you count in hide-and-seek. And she started off, dear Jesus. And then she realized, oh, and she stopped and said, no, no, no. One, two, three. See, there's a girl who already is being taught to be a person of prayer. And so she just naturally, when her head is bowed and her eyes are closed, she prays because a child of three, a child of three can pray. And yet uh, there are depths of prayer that elude most of us. Uh, Leonard Ravenhill said, we, lived, we have lived subnormal for so long that normal seems abnormal. Uh, there is a place of prayer that is intended to be a normal place for Christians, and, and it escapes many of us, if not most of us. Uh, there is a life of prayer that we are called to and invited to that very few people enter. Now, some do. Some have. Uh, John Hyde is one that comes to mind. John Hyde, uh, his nickname was Praying. So many people know him only as Praying Hyde. Uh, how would it be if the, the pattern of your life and the rhythm of your life was so given to prayer that, that people nicknamed you Praying? Uh, E.M. Bounds, Reese Howells, George Mueller... Uh, all of these are men who gave themselves to prayer. Uh, James, the brother of Jesus, you know what his nickname was? Camel Knees. Now, this doesn't sound like a very attractive thing, and I know a lot of you ladies would not want that nickname, but he was called Camel Knees because he prayed so much that he had calluses on his knees. Ezekiel 47 talks to us about a river, and the river of God in Ezekiel 47 
gets deeper as you go. It starts off ankle deep and then it's knee deep, waist deep, and, and eventually it's deep enough to swim. And, and most of us in our lives settle for ankle deep when it comes to prayer. And God is calling us to become swimmers. God is calling us into the deep places to become swimmers. Now, here, here's the good news. He absolutely adores the waders. He does. He absolutely loves and adores us even when we're in the ankle deep. But he calls us into the deep, not for him. He calls us into the deep places for us. Because he wants us. He doesn't want us to settle for less. He wants us to enjoy everything that he has, everything that is available for us. So Jesus said, my father's house is to be a house of prayer. And, and if God's house is going to be a house of prayer, it has to be made up of people of prayer. Francis Asbury uh, was a, a Methodist preacher who was a part of the, the Methodist revival that swept the country uh, back in the 1700s, early 1800s. And Francis Asbury prayed the first 10 minutes of every hour that he was awake. First 10 minutes of every hour. Murray McShane once said, I ought to spend the best hours of the day in communion with God. I will not see the face of man until I have sought the face of God. Martin Luther said, if I fail to give God two hours in the morning, Satan gets the victory in the day. S.D. Gordon said, we need time for prayer, unhurried time, daily time, time enough to forget how much time it's been. When was the last time we prayed for so long that we forgot how much time it had been. Ian e. Bounds said of Jesus, prayer was the secret of his power, the law of his life, the inspiration of his toil, the source of his wealth, his joy, his communion, and his strength. To Jesus, prayer was a necessity of life. An absolute necessity. As far as we know, it's the only thing that the disciples ever asked him to teach them. They watched him. They saw him do all sorts of things. They saw him do miracles. They heard him do incredible teachings and tell unbelievable stories. And yet, as far as we know, the one thing he, they asked him to teach them was, Lord, teach us to pray. And I want to say loud and clear that he is still the teacher. When it comes to prayer, Jesus is still the teacher. He is still the one who will teach us. If we're going to learn to pray, uh, we have to learn from him. He, he was a man of prayer. Jesus was a man of prayer. And as we read through the Gospels, we see that prayer was a major part, maybe the major part of his life. He said, I only do what I see the Father doing. He was in constant communion with the Father. He, Jesus lived his life in this divine rhythm of hearing the Father, speaking to the Father, hearing from the Father, speaking to the Father, and then doing only what the Father told him to do. He got up early 
before daylight and prayed. He prayed through the night. He prayed for the sick. He prayed for the demonized. He prayed for his disciples. And he's praying actually right now for us. He's praying for us. The Bible says that he continues to intercede on our behalf. In John 17, he prays for all of those who will believe because of the testimony of his disciples. And that, that's you and me. That's us. And so all the way back to those days, all the way back to the days right before his crucifixion, Jesus has been praying for you. And he continues to do so. And so in Luke 11, the disciples come to him and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. They'd heard him do all these things and they'd seen him do all these things. But the one thing they wanted was, Lord, teach us to pray. It's what we need more than anything else in the church today. Not just Riverstone, but every church across the face of the globe. The thing that we need more than anything else It's not better programs, it's not better preachers, it's not, well, maybe better preachers. Not better preachers, it's not any of those things. The thing that we need more than anything else is for Jesus to teach us how to pray. To teach us how to pray. You can read books on sermon, or you can read books on on prayer. You can hear sermons on prayer. But the only way that you're going to learn to pray is to get with Jesus. It's the only way you're going to learn. Um, you may pick up a few tips here and there from books. You may gain some things from today. But I can't teach you how to pray. I can't. Only Jesus can teach you. And so if you're going to become a person of prayer, if you're going to go into the deeper places, you'll have to get with him. And you'll have to let him teach you. Now, what I can do today is I can tell you some things about prayer, and I can tell you some things about his prayer life. And what I want to do today is is mention things that I believe the disciples saw in his prayer life that caused them to ask him to teach them. The first thing I believe that they saw was intimacy. I believe that they saw with Jesus intimacy. They'd seen prayer before, y'all. They grew up in a culture of prayer. They'd seen prayer, but they'd never seen prayer like that. They saw an intimacy between Jesus and his father that that was new. They hadn't seen anything like that before. He loved praying because he loved being with his father. And that was a new thing for them. For many of us, prayer can sometimes be a duty and, and, you know, to put that in perspective, what if your conversations with your, your spouse or your conversations with your children were just something that you knew as, as a duty you needed to do? And so you just had a checklist. These are my, this is my to-do list. Got to brush my teeth. Got to mow the grass. Got to talk to my family. Got to take out the garbage. That's not going to take you into a place of intimacy with your family. If they're on the same list as taking out the garbage and mowing the grass, well, for one thing, you won't, you won't probably have them for long. God calls us 
to intimacy. That's what he wants for us. That's what he wants us to have with each other. And before we can have it with each other, usually we, we have to have it with him. And so Jesus, I believe, the disciples saw an intimacy between Jesus and his father that they, they had never seen before. It was a new thing. Jesus didn't pray because he was trying to be a good Christian and felt guilty when he didn't pray. He prayed because he loved spending time with his father. Samuel Chadwick said, God wills that we would pray everywhere, but the place of his glory is in the solitudes where he hides us in the cleft of the rock and talks with us face to face. That's what they saw. That's what they saw. They saw that intimate place of face-to-face communion. And boy, that's what they wanted. Another thing that they saw was confidence. Jesus prayed with confidence because he knew the Father would respond to his prayers. And the reason that he knew the Father would respond to his prayers is because Jesus understood. He, He knew his place with the Father. He knew his place with the Father. When Jesus was baptized, the heavens opened and the voice of the Father rang out like thunder. And the Father said, this is my son. I love him. He pleases me. Jesus prayed with confidence because he understood his standing. He knew his place with the Father. He knew how the Father felt about him. And I I would say to you that that may be the second most important thing in your whole life. The most important thing is what what comes to your mind when you think of him. Maybe the second most important thing in your life is what do you think comes to his mind when he thinks of you? How does God feel? about you. And I would say, if you don't know, ask him. Ask him. He loves to tell you. Get alone. Get a notebook and a pen and sit in a quiet place and just ask, Lord, tell me what you think of me. And write down what he says. Write down what he says and don't ever forget it. I promise you, you, people ask me all the time, how how will I know? How will I know that it's God speaking and not just my own thoughts? (laughs) You'll know. Because God's idea of you, God's view of you, what he thinks of you, is so much better than what you think of yourself. He will say things to you that you would never say about yourself, and it will change your life. It will absolutely change transform your life. Ask him. Identity. Do you know where you stand? Have you heard his declaration over you? There was a confidence that Jesus had because he knew his standing. We're not called to be timid. We're not called to be fearful. He wants us to be confident of his goodness 
when we pray and the way that we move into that place of confidence is when we know that we're the apple of his eye. He adores us. He loves us. Hate to break it to y'all, but I'm his favorite. (laughs) I am. So are you. Jeremiah, you're his favorite. Megan, you're his favorite too. That's the thing about God. He can have all of us as his favorite because nothing's impossible with God. The third thing that they saw was power. When Jesus prayed, stuff happened. It really did. He prayed and, you know, 5,000 people were on a hillside. It says 5,000 men, so maybe 10, 12, 15,000 people. Jesus prays, gives the disciples one little boy's lunch, and they feed the whole crowd and have food left over. They're in a boat, and a storm comes up, and Jesus prays, and the storm goes away. Lepers who were banished from the community and had to beat sticks together and yell unclean so people knew they were coming, when they came in contact with Jesus, were healed. Dead people were raised. We know of at least three occasions where Jesus raised people from the dead. A paralyzed man in Luke 5, Jesus says, your sins are forgiven and he's completely healed. Get up and take your mat and go home. In Luke 6, a man with a shriveled hand comes to Jesus and Jesus says, go stand in front of everyone. Guys, that's confidence. Go and stand in front of everyone. Instead of, hey, let's sneak back here in the back and we'll pray and if you're healed, then we'll tell everyone. He didn't do that. He said, go stand in front of everyone. Now, stretch out your hand. Stretch out your hand. I remember uh, (laughs) one time when I was working at the University of Georgia, uh, our staff and our leadership team decided that we would pray for the football team. And uh, y'all, don't be mad at us. We we didn't pray for them to win the national championship. Maybe maybe we should have, uh, but we didn't. Uh, We prayed that there would be a spiritual revival on the football team. And we assigned a player. Every person on the leadership team had a player to pray for every day. And every staff person had a coach to pray for every day. And and I had the head coach who at that time uh, was Jim Donnan. And uh, we prayed. And, And the rule was that we couldn't contact them and tell them we were praying for them. We just prayed for them. And at the end of that season, there was an article in the red and black newspaper. And the title of the article, the headline was, Spiritual Revival Hits Football Team. When when you pray, stuff happens. When you pray, stuff happens, y'all. We prayed, I don't know how how many times, but we we prayed for about six weeks uh, for the Night of Hope. I had a group of people who gathered in in my basement on Tuesday nights uh, for about six weeks. And then the week of Night of Hope, we prayed on Tuesday, Friday, and Saturday. And everything we prayed happened. We, We stood on that field on that Sunday afternoon and just watched it happen. I stood out there and just wept because everything that God had told us to pray we got to see him do. 
It was, it was amazing. The disciples saw prayer. They saw power in the prayer life of Jesus because when he prayed, stuff happened. And sometimes for us, the greatest obstacle when it comes to prayer is unbelief. If we believed, I'm not, no guilt trips, no manipulation, just believing. If we believed truly that nothing was impossible for God, if we believed that nothing was impossible for God, it would change the way we pray. The fourth thing that they saw when they looked at the life, the prayer life of Jesus was transformation. They saw transformation. Luke chapter 9, verses 28 and 29 says, And when he was praying, the appearance of his countenance was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. Prayer will change the way you look. Want to look better? Anybody here want to look better? Prayer will, will make you look better. I promise you, being in the presence of God will change the way you look. You'll start to look more like him. The prayer life of Jesus is available to us. That sounds like a crazy thing to say, but it's true. The prayer life of Jesus is available to us. You and I can be people of prayer. And it starts by simply saying to him the same thing the disciples said. Teach me to pray. Teach me how to pray. Lord, I recognize that this is the most important activity I could engage in in my whole life. Teach me how to pray. Prayer is as much a posture as it is a practice. And, and humbling ourselves before the Lord and, and beginning in that place of recognizing that he is God and we are not, and that if our lives are going to be uh, of any account, they should be him working through us, not us working for him. Then we will humble ourselves before him and we will say, God, teach me how to pray. Teach me how to pray. I need to depend and rely on you for everything in my life. Every decision, every conversation, every activity needs to start with you. If we can make that choice, and as individuals and families and as a church, say, God, Jesus, teach me how to pray, our world will change. It will change quickly. It will change powerfully. It will change forever. Now let's pray.